Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. come to the time in our service in which we hear, we receive, we meditate on the, the Word of God. We invite those who are able to, to stand just as a way of honoring God's Word. Today's scripture does come from the book of Job, chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy Word. Then Job spoke again, my complaint today is still a bitter one, and I try hard not to groan aloud. If I only knew where to find God, I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. Then I would listen to his reply and understand what he says to me. Would he use his great power to argue with me? No, he would give me a fair hearing. Honest people can reason with him, so I would be forever acquitted by my judge. I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. But he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. For I have stayed on God's path. I have not followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we pray for your wisdom, your word, your truth, your spirit to be present. And may we be present with you wherever we are, however we came today, Lord. We, we speak your name of Jesus and believe that you love us and are with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I think most of you know, uh, my wife Heather and I, we went to, the, went to Israel a few weeks ago, um, and part of our, our journey was not just our experience there at Israel, but also um, getting home from Israel. And so we left uh, Israel at 5 o'clock, um, at 2 o'clock central time on a Friday, and we arrived back um, at the airport in Tulsa, which is where our group was at, at 11.30 p.m. Monday night. Uh, That's 81 hours, uh, for those of you who like to keep track of said things. Um, And I don't know about you, um, but sometimes when something like bad happens, I want to find out like why it happened. And like, why did this happen? Now, I think we all have this, right? Um, Sometimes it's about our our travel, like what is it that that caused these sort of things to happen? Um, But sometimes it's personal, right? Um, why did my spouse leave me? Why don't my kids know Jesus? Why did I get cancer? Why am I all alone, right? Why did this happen? And so sometimes we, we want to, to find out the answer. Now, a lot of times in my own life, I can just let things go, um, but I just could not let this go about why did it take us 81 hours to travel. Particularly, I was bothered by one particular fact, that when we landed in New York City, we were supposed to fly from New York to Dallas and then Dallas to Tulsa, we, they bumped us off our flight from New York to Dallas. Um, and I was just wondering, like, why? 
That's all I wanted to know is why did this happen? Why did they bump us? And so, um, and I, I sent a, um, a very polite-ish email <laughs> to um, the folks at American Airlines because um, there's many, many other things that happened in our 81 hours of travel. And one day I'll tell you all about Marvelous Marvin. Um, and, uh, but in this, I just, I said, and then one day I got a phone call. It took a few days, but I got a phone call. And I said, if you could just tell me why we got bumped, that's really what I want to know about, right? Because this is what we do. Something happens and we want to know the cause. We want to know the reason. And and we do this in little ways and we do it in big ways. Um, In fact, one of the questions that that I often get asked as a pastor and that you have probably asked in some setting is that why do bad things happen to good people? Why, why Why did this thing have to happen? They didn't deserve it. And we look at the world and the world seems very unfair right? That there are people who seem to do everything right and these terrible things happen to them. And then there are people who seem to do everything wrong and life always seems to end up their way. There are people who spend all their time um, eating right, exercising, and they get some incurable disease and die young. And then I remember I saw a news broadcast one time and there was a lady, she was like 104. And they said, how do you live to be 104? And she said, well, I drink three Dr. Peppers a day. I'm no doctor, but I don't think that's the best way of living to 104. But yes, it happens, right? It's it's just, the world seems unfair. And often, whenever we are asking this question, we aren't really asking it theoretically. We're asking it very practically. We're not asking why do bad things happen to good people. We're asking why did this bad thing happen to this good person? My mom never deserved to be treated that way, you might say. Or you might look and you say, well, it's not fair that my son is, is hurting in this way. Or we look at our own self and like this, I did everything right and these bad things happened to me. That's not fair. And so when we ask this question, we're not just asking a question about life out there. We are asking a very personal question. And part of it comes down to asking some other questions, including what is justice? What is something and what is God's responsibility in implementing justice. As people of faith, we look at the brokenness of the world and we look at the brokenness of our own world and we ask questions, what is justice? And God, where are you in the midst? Because sometimes it feels like God is absence. And one of the things that I think about is that justice is wrong being made right. That's my simplest way I can understand justice, is it's the wrong things of this world being made right. And I believe on this side that, that God is somebody who makes things right, but sometimes that doesn't feel that way. And it's easy for me to say it. It's another thing for it to be real. And as I look around, and, and I don't know your story, but I know that you have one, my guess is that there are some things that have happened in your life that just don't seem fair or right and have never been made right. And so if you've ever wondered these questions, you are not alone. In fact, people of faith have been asking these questions for centuries and millenniums and other such stuff to try to figure out, God, where are you? One of the oldest books in the Bible is actually the book of Job. Now, it's spelled like Job, and it's pronounced Job. I don't know why, but that's just what they tell me. Um, And so here we come to this great story and this great question of suffering 
And where is God and what do we do about it? Now, what we are about to do is something a little adventurous and you might be a little bit nervous because I'm about to tell you we are going to go through 42 chapters of the Bible um, and the book of Job as quickly as possible. Now, in our Bible reading plan, I know some of you finished the book of Job not too long ago um, and it can be confusing as we read it. So let me try to bring order to this book of Job that wrestles with some of these same questions that you and I wrestle with. Now, at the very beginning, of our story, it's interesting to hear how we're introduced to our main character, Job himself. It says, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. And so this is our introduction. It says he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. This is our welcome to Job. And then we are taking into this weird scene of God in heaven and various um, angels and other creatures coming to God. And one of those creatures is Satan, who is called the accuser, who had been walking and making his way around the earth. And when he approached God, God essentially was bragging on Job. And he said these words, they may sound familiar. Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Now, Satan responds, and he says, yeah, it's easy to fear God and stay away from evil when everything is good. Um, Job was one of the richest men at the time. He had a big family. He had seven sons and three daughters. He had 700 camels and 700 sheep and all of these possessions and animals. It's easy to be righteous when your life is going right. But what is he going to do when life goes wrong? And so so God invites Satan to test him. He said, you can do anything, just do not touch his physical body. And so what happens is tragedy after tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Four messengers come to Job. The first comes and said that some of your animals were stolen and that your farmhands were killed. And then another messenger came and said that fire came down from heaven and burned your sheep and your shepherd and they were all destroyed. Another messenger comes and says that your camels have been stolen. And then the fourth messenger comes and said all of your children were at this one house And the house collapsed, and they are all dead. And can you just imagine what it would be like to get that news after news after news? And some of you don't have to imagine because you've been there. You've you've had these events in your life, and it, it just feels like if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong, right? That's Murphy's Law, and you get this news of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, and it just becomes too much for us. And so we sit there with broken hearts wondering what else is there to happen. And Job's response in chapter 1 is pretty interesting. It says, he stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's room and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. That probably wouldn't have been my response. I don't know if that would have been yours. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. There's something like, like what is happening here? Um, and, and so sometimes whenever we have these tragedies, we, I want to have some of this, our faith of early Job, where I'd like, okay, God, I know you're somewhere. But oftentimes I just feel 
different. I feel like, God, where are you? I'm not ready to say, praise the name of the Lord. I'm not ready there, but here he is. He remains blameless and upright. And so Satan goes back to God, and there's this repeat of the same uh, sin. And, and Satan said, well, you know, he didn't sin, but, but that's only because he's not in pain, in physical pain. You didn't let me touch him. If it was his own life on the line, then he would turn away from you. And so God allowed Satan to, to give him this terrible suffering, and he had these boils on his skin, and he was in great pain. And his wife said that he should curse God and then just die. And sometimes that's what happens to us, right? We go through these experiences and people who, um, people say, well, why would you really believe a God? Why would you, how can God be loving if all of these terrible things can happen? If there's these great injustices in the world, how is your God so good when these things are allowed to happen? People want us to curse God. They want us to turn away from God, but Job refuses And he said this to his wife, he said, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. So imagine Job in this part. He's lost almost everything. His wife has told him that he should just curse God and die. Doesn't feel like there's a lot of hope. And then his friends arrive. Now his friends... At the beginning are good friends, but they go off the rails at some point in time. You know, it's really strange. Uh, as, as a pastor, I've been around various situations of grief and sorrow and, and brokenness. And, um, you know, what, what, what do we do when, when somebody we love is, is hurting? And, and, and really, the initial response of the friends are really good. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says, When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. And this is really what we are called to, to do. When one of our friends is hurting, is we don't just sit around, but we go to them. Um, now, you can tell that Job's friends were not Methodist because they only did two of the three holy sees when somebody is hurting. They comforted and they consoled, but they did not casserole him. We would casserole him, and that's the appropriate response. And then they continue in the right response. It says this, Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. And one of the best gifts, in fact, the best gift that we can give people is our presence and not our words. Um, it's not the time for explanation in the midst of tragedy. What what people need is us to sit with them and to be with them. Um, I have done done funerals. I have been around people. Very, very infrequently will people remember what I said. What they remember is who was there. And one of the greatest things that we can do is to go to people who are suffering and go and meet them where they are and just be with them. We don't have to have the right words. In fact, oftentimes the words that we say, they are seeking to comfort us or to, for helping us to explain something. They're not actually to help people. And so sometimes we, we say things that are well-meaning and good. When, when a tragedy happens, we say God must have needed another angel. Um, but that's not who God is. He doesn't need another angel. He didn't need your loved one. We can't always explain what happens. And when we do so, we actually step on the feet of God and we step on the heart's of other people, causing more questions 
and, and more harm than we ever, ever intend. And in fact, our presence is almost always greater than our explanation. Our presence is greater than our explanation. Um, Alison Krauss in another 90s country song said it best, you say it best when you say nothing at all. And so when somebody is grieving and is hurting, you say it best just by being there. And again, sometimes we want to say things and we want to do things. And I've done this as your pastor sometimes. I'll say, well, if there's anything that I can do for you, just let me know. And all of a sudden, as, as they are carrying their grief and carrying all the decisions they have to make, all of a sudden I've given them another burden of letting me know if there is something they need. And so oftentimes it's just the presence and the stillness and being there. But we are people who want explanations. We're going to see that in, the, in a lot of the chapters of Job. Is it Job's friend trying to have an explanation? Because we want there to be meaning out of the meaninglessness of life. We want there to be a reason that something would happen. I mean, that's what I want from American Airlines. I want you to tell me why is it that you bumped 40 some odd of us off a plane. There has to be a good reason for this happens. And we think if I can just have a reason... If there can be some reason that it can make sense, if there can be an explanation, then we will be okay. But oftentimes, that explanation is lacking. Because we as people, whenever we go through something significant, we want there, if there's a big event in our life, there needs to be a big cause. In fact, this is a thing called proportionality bias. It's our innate tendency to assume that big events have big causes. Um, I, one of the prime examples of this is uh, the shooting of John F. Kennedy. And, and why we have all these theories and all of these other things is because we do not want to believe that somebody like a little person like Lee Harvey Oswald could take down a giant like John F. Kennedy. And so because a big event that, that, that caused the country and the world to grieve and to change. It couldn't happen by this little person. And this is why we give in to conspiracy theories, because we have to believe that if something is so big, it has to have a big cause, and it can't be something simple. And so when I finally, on Friday, I got an email back after a couple of weeks of them looking into the problem, American Airlines, uh, I got an email from the lady who I was talking to, who I was emailing with, and I told my story to. She said, we, have, we think we have found the reason why we bumped you from the flight. So I was, I was anxiously awaiting, like, what is it? They said, well, your flight to Dal from New York to Dallas was going to be delayed, and you would miss your connecting flight from Dallas to Tulsa. And so an agent on the ground, I believe an algorithm in these clouds, actually, but whatever, she told me an agent on the ground made the decision to bump you all. I was not satisfied. You know, sometimes we think an answer will satisfy you, but I wanted to, so then I was like, so this makes no sense to me because I can guarantee you I would rather be in Dallas than New York because in Dallas there are numerous flights to Oklahoma every day. In New York, there are no flights to Oklahoma any day. we got to go somewhere else. So just get me to Dallas. And the worst thing in the world is somebody will come pick me up. Right? Sometimes we want there to be an answer, but the answer doesn't always satisfy us. And this is what we see in Job. 
is that we want an answer. And all of a sudden, this nice and patient Job that we, that we hear about and, and we talk about having the patience of Job, we, it is no longer there. The one that says, praise the name of the Lord. In Job chapter 3, we see these words, let the day of my birth be erased. And the night I was conceived, let that day be turned to darkness. And he goes on to express his emotions and his feelings and his upsetness at God. And there's this conversation, Job speaks, and then one of his friends speaks, and then Job speaks back, and then one of his friends speaks back. And that is verse chapters 3 through 31. And, and really, they're coming down to try to answer a few questions. Now, one of the resources I use when I preach sermons is a, a group called The Bible Project. They have some great videos on, on YouTube. They're actually the ones we're doing our Bible reading plan through. And these are the three questions that Job and his friends are trying to answer. Is God just? Does God run the universe on the strict principle of justice, which is if I do good, good things will happen. If I do bad, bad things will happen. If I do good or somebody does good, then it'll be good will be returned to them. If bad happens, then b bad will be returned to them. That's the strict principle of justice. And then the third question is, how is Job's suffering to be explained? And so what they're trying to figure out is, are those questions. And Job is sitting here, and what he's saying is he's saying, I'm innocent. I'm blameless. I did nothing to deserve this. My suffering thus then is not divine justice. So because either God doesn't run the world according to justice because I got what I didn't deserve or God himself is unjust. And so that's how he sits at it. His friends are seeing something entirely different. They say God does, is just and runs the universe according to the strict principle of justice, and therefore you must have sinned, and you are unwilling to admit it. And so they go back and forth on these assumptions that they have. And what we see is a, is a Job that at some times is incredibly hopeful in God, and at other times is incredibly despairing. It's this roller coaster of emotions, right? We, we read some of it as he was looking for God. I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. And so he goes on this journey of emotions. He's angry, he's frustrated, he's hopeful, he trusts, he doesn't trust. He wonders, he questions, he seeks. It's a big, long story of an emotional journey that we take. And one of the things that we can learn from this is that our emotions are okay. You know, one of the things that, that uh, our culture particularly to our men, it said that you are supposed to be strong and silent. Speak softly and carry a big stick, they say, right? And that we as men particularly, but women as well, is that we are not supposed to express our emotions. That that may come from our culture, but I want to be very clear that that does not come from God. Our scriptures, if you want to be somebody who says the Bible matters here, then it matters that our scriptures are full, and I mean full of people who are radically open and honest and with their emotions to God, including Job and most of the Psalms. They are full of people who express how they are feeling and what is going on in their heart and life. And so often what we've said is emotions are bad. 
But emotions are often an indication that something isn't right, and God wants to hear and help us to experience this. He did not give you emotions so that you could set them aside and let them simmer. He gave you emotions so that we can experience the fullness of life. And when we stuff those down, and as a professional stuffer of emotions, it doesn't work out for us ever. And so it's okay to feel the way that you're feeling. It's okay to express those. We are not, uh, one of the things I've heard is emotions are a terrible master. We're not to be mastered by our emotions. But they are a great servant because often they're indicating what isn't right and where we're hurting. And when we stuff them, they still come out in ways that we do not always understand or expect. So God can handle your honesty, especially your anger. And God wants us and invites us to express that. And so we see in our scriptures that there are times in which um, people will shout it out as Job has done. There are times in which people will write them down as our Psalms often do. And what I would encourage you to do is do not try to think that you can hold your emotions in, but to find a way to express them to God if to nobody else. Write them down. Let them out. God can handle it. And my word of advice to married couples is this. Understand if your partner wants a solution or wants to be heard. Because so often we go to trying to fix a problem when really what we need to do is just to hear one another. Just to listen. Just to be. Because sometimes the solutions aren't always there. Now, part of Job's journey is that he wants to talk to God. He wants to talk to the boss because he thinks that if he can get before God, if he can get an audience with God, then God will listen to him and things will go well. This is what we want to do, right, when we're upset. And so um, there was a point in time after I got the email um, that said, this is what happened. I said, just, I emailed back, can, you, can your boss, can your supervisor give me a call, right? How many of you all have said, I want to talk to the manager, Give me somebody who can do this. And so, um, and so she calls me back, this lady that I'm working with, and she tells me, I am the only person you are allowed to speak to. Now, I want you to know, um, whenever I was dealing with um, these, this, these people, and, and it's none of their faults, they're just doing what, their job, you know, um, there were some times I was, I was like, the pastor you all want me to be. And then there are sometimes I was the person that you would expect me to be. So I didn't mention, you know, they, they, they lost their luggage. We got it a couple days later, but oh, that was another crazy thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking to this woman and I was like, can I just talk to your manager or supervisor? Like, I'd be like, I was like, you already told me 81 hours is the most you've ever heard of. So like, if I should be able to be bumped up to the next person, she said, well, we don't do that. I said, how unfair is that to you? Like, so wait, so what you're telling me is that you get to deal with all the people who are yelling and cussing and screaming at you, and your boss just gets to sit over in the office and doesn't have to hear any of it? She said, that's what we do. <laughs> and then I remembered, this call is being recorded for quality purposes. I really wonder what she really thinks, right? But if we can just talk to the boss. 
And that's what Job wanted to do. He, he wanted to talk to the boss, to somebody who could do something, because his friend's answers weren't satisfying. In fact, there was a, another friend who came in through 32 and 37, and, and he had a different assumption. He said, well, God is just, and God runs the world according to justice, but there must be some meaning from your suffering. And so maybe the suffering is a warning to you to avoid future sin, or maybe it is building character in you. That's part of what we actually do believe with suffering is it does build us and create us into the people that we want to be. Um, But this is the best wisdom that the world has to offer. And then God shows up. And in chapter 38, he shows up in a whirlwind and he starts with this. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimension and stretched out its surveying line? He goes on to talk about big picture things in the galaxy and little things that happen with animals. He's basically saying, Job, this world is way more complex than you can even imagine it to be. Where were you? Do you begin to understand the complexities of my life and my world? Your friends and you cannot understand how this world functions. You weren't there in the beginning, and you can only see just a sliver of the complexity of the world. This is my fear, um, because yesterday, after not being helped by American Airlines, I googled some um, executives on American Airlines email, and I sent them an email on Saturday, polite. It did include Reverend Aaron Tiger. That's a little accountable for me. Mustang United Methodist Church. It's part of my signature. If I can just talk to the boss, but I'm hoping they don't say. Do you understand the complexities of air travel? No, I don't. I just want to know. How dare you, right? I just have one question, right? But but, but we all understand that, that there's so much more complexity, right? When we begin to dig into something, right? Ask anybody who's an expert, and one of the things they'll tell you is it's not as simple as it looks. There's a complexity behind it. We always want there to be simple answers, but there's not. There's this vast complexity, and that's one of the things that God says, is how do you determine what goes on in the world? Where, where do I intervene, and where do I step back from? For every bride who prays for a, sun, for a sunny, clear day, there's a farmer that is praying for rain upon rain. Who does God listen to? Where is the goodness of God? How does the world work? I don't know. And, and, and he, he even asks Job, would you like to be in charge for a little bit? Distribute justice, distribute punishment. It reminds me of the movie Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey and Morgan Freeman where, where Jim Carrey uh, uh, got to be God for a little bit. And one of the scenes I remember is he, he was hearing all of these voices as prayer requests, people asking for everything. And so um, he just uh, said, well, I'm just going to make him into an email list so I can go through. And after, you know, doing a few of them, he realized that he had so many prayer requests. How am I possibly going to answer these? And so he said, just reply yes to all. And so, um, so many people won the lottery, um, and they split it, and they each got like four cents or something like that, because so many people won the lottery, right? It's not that simple, just yes or no. And this is part of the point of what God is calling us to do. And then God brings up what to me was super weird. 
he brings up in chapters 40 and 41 these two mythical creatures who were known in the ancient Near Eastern world, a behemoth who was like kind of a hippo-ish like character and a leviathan who's like a dragon crocodile of the sea type character. So this land animal and the sea animal and these mystical animals. Again, it's very, very strange for us because we're like, where did this come from? But for the world, they would have understood who these creatures were. They are symbols of disorder and danger, and I love the way that the Bible Project explains it. It says, God's world is amazing and very good, but it's not perfect or always safe. God's world has order and beauty, but it's also wild and sometimes dangerous, just like these two fantastic creatures. We live in a good world, but not a perfect one. We live in an amazing place of order, but it's wild. And we serve a wild God. It reminds me of um, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, written by C.S. Lewis, one of the great stories of our time. And, and he talks about how there's a, the, the Christ figure in that is Aslan the lion. And Susan, who's one of the young girls in the story, she says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. I thought he was a man. And she asked Mr. Beaver, is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's a king, I tell you. God isn't safe, but he's good. And this world is not safe, but it's good. It's uncontrollable. Our God is uncontainable, but he's good. And then the dialogue ends. He never says, here is justice, here is why you're suffering, here's what happened. He doesn't explain what what happened with Satan in the past. He doesn't explain any of that. He just leaves it as it is. And then it shows the response of Job. And in Job chapter 42, verse 6, Job says these words, I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. And then God tells Job about his friends and about him. My servant Job will pray for you, God tells the friends, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me, as my servant Job has. Now, this is a fascinating aspect of this story, because here um, we know that Job has not spoken accurately about God in the story. We know that he has said some things. God, I couldn't find you. You were nowhere to be found. No, God was somewhere. He had said other things about God. He had not spoken accurately about God. But So why is there this difference between Job and what he said and his friends said? And one of the things is that Job was honest and sought God while his friends only sought answers. Do you seek answers? Or do you seek God? Do you humble yourself and say, God, I'm here for you? Do I wrestle with you? That is what God was commending Job for doing the right thing, was his wrestling, not his theology. And sometimes in our prayers, we get too worried about making sure our theology, our understanding of God and the world is right. Instead of just saying, God, here I am. I'm mad. I'm angry. I cannot believe this has happened. And we try to be right instead of being humble and just who we are. 
before God. And that is what God honors. And so really to me, the lesson of Job comes down to two things that in some ways feel contradictory. Trust and wrestle. We are called to trust God and to wrestle with God. We are called to say, Lord, I give my life to you, and here I am. But at the same time, we are allowed to wrestle with God and say, God, I know I trust you, but I don't feel like it today. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I don't understand, but yet I'm still going to lean. In fact, the name of Israel means the one who wrestles. The, the name was given after Jacob was his original name, and he stayed up all night one time wrestling with God. And God hurt his hip, so he'd walk with the limp for the rest of his life. So he'd be reminded of his dependence on God and his wrestling with God. And that's what it means to be a child of God, is that we trust and we wrestle, because that means we lean in to where he is. And when we lean into where he is, we don't just ask these questions, why do bad things happen to good people, or why did this happen to me? But we also ask the big questions that we find in scripture sometimes, Psalm 8. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for me. And in a complex galaxy with billions of people on this earth, it is amazing. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? Who am I that God is thinking of me, that he answers my prayers, that he's listening, and that he reaches out to me? Who am I? I cannot understand why bad things happen to good people. I also can't understand why for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The mysteries are on both hands. And so we trust and we wrestle. And we wrestle and we trust. And in the meanwhile, we stay close to God. And this is what the story of Job is all about. And this is what our life is about. We're going to walk through this life and we're not going to understand. I don't know your story, but I know that you have one. And in this time, there are times you said, Lord, why is this happening to me? And I wish that God would just speak from above and say, this is exactly what had happened, but I don't even know if that would satisfy some things. We know that this world isn't safe, but we know that God is good. And we can trust that when we lean in and when we get close to God and wrestle with him, he will never leave us nor forsake us. I don't understand, but I don't have to. So I just pray that we would be the people who would walk with God. So what I want to do is just have a little time at the altar. Maybe there's something you need to say to God. Um, we also have a pastoral prayer. If you'd want a pastoral prayer line, you're welcome to text us. Um, something that, that maybe is going on in your heart and life. Maybe something you need to say out loud or type out loud. Um, you can come up and pray. You can also go to our prayer walls. Maybe you need to write out your prayer. Maybe just a few sentences of what's going on. God, and maybe it's just questions that you need to ask God and submit those to God because he honors that and he meets us where we are. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.